Good afternoon and welcome back to the Conservatarian Exchange on the Liberty Block, right now hosted by Mike, Ed, and myself, and we believe one other Ed will be joining us soon. Good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon, hey, gentlemen. Hey, Mike. Hey, Steve. All right. Is the uh, last night's announcement, the shocking surprise announcement, uppermost on your minds? Pretty much. I didn't know that there was a shocking announcement last night. Yeah, it might not have been shocking. <laughs> All right. Mike, since you mentioned it right before we started, do you want to tell me what, what happened? Because I did not watch it. Yeah, I mean, uh, insofar as, uh, as as much as he could have had a successful speech, hitting the right notes and all that, I felt I felt that he he did. Um, there were some elements of the speech where you're like cringing a little bit, say, you know, because I think obviously he embellishes the truth about his record to some extent. He didn't really talk a lot about COVID, as far as I could tell. Um, he wasn't overly harsh in his attacks on the Biden administration. Uh, you know, uh, to the point of saying almost, see, I told you so. Uh, he went through the litany of failures. So I, I thought he, he did a pretty darn good job last night. I think if this was the Donald Trump that had showed up every day while he was president for four years, he we probably wouldn't be in this situation. That's kind of the way I, I felt about it. So one of the things I heard was that he's running against his own record on mandates. Um, I don't know. I, I didn't hear him talk about that. There were a couple of times while I was watching Fox last night where they preempted him to give the uh, their opinions. Yeah, he um, said he's gonna, he's gonna rehire everybody in the military with an apology and back pay, and he's gonna get rid oh. of the mandates. Um well that yeah, his mandates. About. He did he did talk about rehiring people and back pay and some of that stuff that he did, but right. You know, at the same time, you know, there was no mea culpas for anything. There was no, you know, I'll do this better. I'll do that better. It was just like Trump 2.0. Yeah, without well, apologizing. In fairness, he did, so. if he's saying that he's going to hire people back and give them back pay for, for being forced out because of the vax, I mean, I would like a little bit more. But, um, well, I mean, I'd like to hear him say that he wants to repeal the PrEP Act and, and start doing investigations of what Pfizer knew and when they knew it and what Moderna knew and what Moderna know, knew, when Moderna knew it. Um, there's more he could say, but um, I thought that was promising. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think the elephant of the room was the last election, and he did start to talk about various things like going back to paper ballots, um, you know, in election integrity. But you know, of course, he didn't really say much about his own behavior vis-a-vis -vis January 6th and everything that happened after the 2020 election. I mean, does he, if, if everyone else has to apologize, shouldn't he apologize for the lockdowns? Yes. What is your problem, Mike, with his behavior on January 6th? Again, that's a good point. I mean, I'm Kind of rehashing the past a little bit here, but you know he didn't he didn't bring it up, and, and the reason I guess I'm saying that is because of all the flack that he did take, uh, including the impeachment. After that, it wasn't something that he really, you know, focused on. My only objection to his behavior related to January 6th is that he has not lifted a finger to help all the people that are in 
jail who stood up and defended him. He did absolutely nothing wrong on that day, whether he was president or private citizen or anything else. He had a right to speak. He did not incite violence. He offered the National Guard to Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi said, no, this was a total setup. It is an outright lie. And, and it, I mean, it's obvious to me that the Democrats knew this was coming and staged this. Not in the, well, they may have fully staged it, but at a minimum, they were, they were ready with the insurrection talking point immediately. They knew what was coming. They knew what their plan was. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't doubt that McConnell knew it either because he was in control, the sergeant of, at arm, of arms in the in the Senate. So um, yeah. I have absolutely no problem whatsoever with Trump's behavior on January 6th. I've been very critical of Trump for a lot of things. But my only criticism of his of January 6th is that he's let his people rot in jail while he keeps fundraising off of them. Well, I mean, uh, it's interesting that Mike Pence has been out on the talk shows with the new book and everything in the last few days as well. And, um, you know, I I do feel that he kind of threw him under the bus uh, at that point in in time. Mike Pence? Yeah. He clearly did. I mean, he clearly has. He said, we need new leadership. He's, He's definitely throwing Trump under the bus. But I, I think that what that Trump threw him under the bus quite a bit at the end, too, by putting a lot of that on him. Oh, my. With the end. I was kind of on Trump's side on that one. I was kind of on Trump's side on that one as well. Um, I thought that the speech last night that Trump gave was excellent. Um, there's one line or, or paragraph that uh, not too many people have been talking about, but, but I noticed, and it's, it's along the lines of an apology. Trump is not someone who apologizes for anything, um, but the the paragraph that really struck me was when he said that uh, we have these people that that talk about protecting us from the seas rising an eighth of an inch a hundred years from now, but they don't have any problem with uh, countries using nuclear weapons to destroy an entire region in in a in less than a day, and mm-hmm. I took that. I took that as Trump's way of saying I was wrong on Ukraine. I don't know if that's what he was. I mean, I, you know, it's it would be nice if he could just straightforwardly say I was wrong. But I know Trump and he won't ever say that he was wrong about anything. So you sort of have to read between the tea leaves. But I, I mean, what else could that mean? Um, and, and to me, that's one of the biggest issues going on today that, you know, this this whole Ukraine situation is is huge. and. Uh, you know, maybe we'll talk about FTX later in the show. Um, I know we were talking about with Ed Powell earlier, or maybe I was talking with Ed separately, I forget. But um, Ukraine is a big deal, a much bigger deal than anyone I think is talking about. And I took that that paragraph from Trump's speech as him saying, uh, I w- my position on, on Ukraine is, is not what it was before. Okay. Um, and then everybody's heard Ivanka's announcement, I assume. Yeah, I did see that. I did not see that. Uh, yeah. I tried to avoid uh, Ivanka. She basically said she won't, she's not going to be part of any politics. She's not, won't be, um, you know, part of anything with uh, her father's political career that she's just stepping away from all of that. 
Yeah, I wasn't sure if that's throwing under the bus, um, sick of losing friends. No, I don't. I didn't need her the first time. I don't remember voting uh, for her. I, I take it as she doesn't really agree with her father politically. That's what I'm thinking, <laughs> and she had enough of it. I think that's the bottom line. I mean, I, I think, think that was one of his big mistakes. Also, she maybe just doesn't want to do, deal with any more of this BS either. So, you know. I take it from the opposite perspective, though. I mean, I agree with you, but I think that's Trump's way of saying, Ivanka, you need to tell everyone you're going to butt the hell out. Ed, I'm very surprised at you because that's a positive about Donald Trump, even though it's a really interesting point. Do you really think he would do that? I, see, again, that goes back to can he really change his mind about something and say it wasn't a good move? Because I think one of the big problems He's with him was Ivanka and Jared. But he's not saying he made a mistake. He's telling Ivanka, butt the hell out. And making her say it. And he went, I don't. He, I mean, if anyone is humiliated by it, I mean, to the extent that Trump sees it as a humiliation, it's Ivanka that's humiliated, not him. Well, I like the way you're looking at it. I don't know if, I don't know if it's real, but I like the way you're looking at it. You can look at it both ways, I suppose. Yeah, who's dumping who? So very interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. all right um so had you watched it i did i thought it was a, a very good speech i mean by trumpian standards it was very good yeah why do you think it went that way um why wasn't he his usual obstreperous you know i think first of all that i think that's an overblown characterization Trump has given many really magnificent speeches. Um, I, I, you know, I still remember his July 4th speech in South Dakota in front of Rush, Mount Rushmore, which was very patriotic and very positive. Um, he's given, he's yep. given plenty of positive speeches and he's been an uplifting person. He's getting this uh, you know, negative reputation of being a, a Debbie Downer all the time and an attack hound all the time. Um, sometimes he is, sometimes he isn't. Yeah. Last night he pretty much wasn't. I I agree. I mean, All right. there, there he he gave some wonderful state of the union speeches in his term during his term. I last night was the best of Trump. If he were like that all the time, okay. If, we're, if we're, we're okay with the text, what about the timing? Oh, it was way too long. No, I don't mean that. No. Part. <laughs> no. I mean, why he had to do it right after the midterm election? Why <laughs> he have to do it before January? Is this about DeSantis? Is it about stopping everybody else? Is it about I'm tired of not being in the news for 10 seconds? I, I think a lot of it, a lot of it is the ego. I, I think, um, let's face it, he's still, there still is a personal vendetta, right? He's pissed off about what happened, rightfully so. We understand it. And he's going to be a thorn in the side of Joe Biden now you know, at least up until the, the primary season is over. And that's determined. He, you know, he's good. He is going to be a thorn in the side. You know, plus he, he does he does get a head start. I mean, first of all, he's already got a head start because he was president. Now, he, you know, he's got a head start. The, the Nobody's going to announce, certainly not DeSantis until sometime the middle of next year. Right. You know, and then and Trump's got to have some infrastructure in place. Does DeSantis have that? So he took one of DeSantis' guys, but on the other hand, he's just putting himself out there as a target, a rich target, 
very, very early on, which isn't necessary. There were plenty of people on his side who begged him to wait at least till Georgia, seemingly, but mm -hmm. he couldn't. No, he couldn't help himself. That, I don't have a problem with him not being able to help himself. I have a problem with his with his desire to clear the field. I think that we need a vigorous primary. I think we need to debate certain things. I think Trump needs to be questioned about Ukraine. Trump needs to be questioned about the lockdowns. Trump needs to be questioned about the vaccines and the mandates. There are lots of things that Trump needs to be questioned on. And, and depending upon the answers he gives, and, and frankly, there are things that DeSantis needs to be questioned on, just as everybody, anybody else who's running. And they all need to stand up and answer questions. Um, we need to vet candidates and, and, and his attempt to sort of clear the field and, and bully people out of not running, uh, I think does not just the rest of the field a disservice, but himself a disservice. He'd be a stronger candidate if he went through the the cauldron of tough questioning and having to answer and formulate tough policy positions. I mean, it doesn't make him look stronger or better by basically warning DeSantis, don't you dare, and having his surrogates warn DeSantis, don't you dare. I also don't think that anybody is scared of him in that way. He's lost. For however think, you want, I think, think Trump's uh, personality. What's that? I think Ed? Trump's. I think Trump's personality has a a, a fairly short half life among normies, and uh, you know, two years of him is just too long. So I I think uh, I I do think if someone picks up the mantle of the Republican Party and, and runs as a Trumpian, but with a little bit more um, humility, uh, I think Trump's going to get beat. So that's slightly in line with what I'm saying. He's going to be out there for too long. Yeah, yeah. It's, I think it depends on what he says and it depends what others say. I mean, I, you know, everybody, you know, you guys know I've been on the DeSantis bandwagon and I, you know, I think that, you know, he's the guy I, I prefer right now. But there are lots of questions I have for Ron DeSantis that, you know, I'm not presumptively suspicious, but I, I just have an open mind in, in a negative way. You know, DeSantis has never said anything about Ukraine, mm -hmm. um, and nor should he have because he's a governor. He doesn't have a foreign policy. You know, he's never said anything about January 6th. He's never said anything about central bank digital currencies. There, there are lots of things that he has not said a thing about. And depending upon what he says, I might look at him and say, oh, I thought you were the guy, but you're not. Mm -hmm. and, and even if substantively he says the right things, he could be another Ted Cruz. You know, Stephen, you and I worked on the Ted Cruz campaign. And one thing that we learned from all of Trump's antics was Cruz couldn't take a punch and he couldn't counterpunch. And those are disqualifying. We need somebody who's going to be able to face down the left. I think so, um, speaking about punches and counter punches, I seem to remember a certain president in the United States making a comment about the losers who were buried in Europe, and he didn't take well to losers. Um, now he is. I don't think that's true. What? I, I don't think that's true. I think that was another myth 
that the leftist press put out. I don't think he actually ever said that. No, I don't think he said it in that context, but he did. Look what he said to McCain about being whatever he was. You know, part of Trump's brand is that he's a winner. And he kind of has to pretend that he didn't lose whether he was cheated out of it or not. Yeah. That's what I mean. You know, remember, we're tired of winning and all that stuff. All the braggadocio. So, I mean, yeah, there's so yeah, many- I mean, you, you want someone with Trump's policies and you want someone with Trump's pugnacious personality, but you just want to dial it back just a little bit. And I don't know whether he'll be able to dial it back just a little Right. And he, you know, the problem I, is, I don't know. I, I kind of disagree. I don't want him to dial it back. I want him to focus it on the right things. Right. But, I mean, you, I, you know, and he had four years proving that every single one of his personnel decisions was hard. Well, so yeah, he could have well, not every after two one. years. But okay, I don't know. Maybe one of the janitors, did, you know, knife him in the back. No, I'm talking about everybody in the White House. All of those people who worked for him, one after the other, you know, knifed him in the back. He just had no discernment whatsoever. And if he would have changed course two years, three years into his presidency, as one thing, but he left his presidency with basically every appointment. He had to throw under the bus, but he appointed them. Yeah. He yeah. he um, uh, he he admired people with lots of medals on their chest. And he admired people who were like in show business and on television. And uh, he admired people who were famous and and had a lot of fans. And um, to be honest, none of those people deserves admiration. Um, and certainly nobody deserves admiration uncritically. So um, it's definitely uh, it's definitely got to change. Yeah, it just seems like he doesn't have a great um, measure of people. I mean, was Pence forced on him as vice president? Yeah, not well, forced, Pence but Chris no Christie. one would run with him. <laughs> no one Christie, would run with so him. I think he chose <laughs> what, that's one I think he chose wisely. Uh, Thank God he didn't settle us with Chris Christie. Right, but supposedly Chris Christie was the one who made his appointments. I'm just well, that's, a, that's a name that's a name we haven't we haven't heard a lot about lately. But uh, as we look forward to the the field in the primary, I have to wonder if he's in there. And uh, going to run against Trump? I don't know, man. I don't I don't know about that. And and as much as you know, I'm not a fan of Chris Christie, right? Uh completely, but you know, he's the kind of guy that could bloody up Trump in some way. Yeah, but he's been out of the field for so long. I mean I don't know, man. I think he still has ambitions. He has ambition, but he has no office. He's you know, he's hanging out there in limbo well, for a long time. You think Cruz I mean, is that, gonna that, run? That, that's the danger for DeSantis and not running, right? Right. right. If you don't strike while the iron is hot, at least soon after you're a governor, you guys think Cruz is going to jump in? I don't think Cruz or Christie is going to run. I think that Trump turned them both into submissives with respect to Trump. Yeah. Now, it's interesting that Cruz is out there now, you know, bashing McConnell for it's more important for him to be leader than to win the uh, Senate. I just where has Cruz been the last six months? Or four years. Right. Yeah, I think he's become a, a total nothing, which is really sad for a great brain 
and a lot of potential. So here's the other question about Trump uh, post midterm is, you know, obviously the establishment has been on the attack. Um, they're blame They're trying to pin it all on him. So how do you guys feel about it? I don't, I don't think that he had as big a factor. He was he played as big a factor as they're claiming at all. I'm not saying he wasn't a factor. I'm not saying that even maybe the MAGA Republican attacks didn't have some effect, but you know, I think, I, I think that just there's so many variables at play, and there but are he's bigger, one of them. bigger ones than he's one of them. He's one of them. Let's say he's 10, 15, 20 percent. Um, and he did pick yeah. Oz, he forced Oz down everybody's throat, he forced Herschel Walker, I believe, down everybody's throat. Um, like like Ed always says, did he really campaign heavily or spend a lot of money for some of the other people up for mm-hmm. grabs? He's definitely somewhat responsible, like I say, 10, 15, 20 yeah. percent. I don't think it's 10 or 15 or 20 percent. I think that he's responsible in in those last ways that you were mentioning. He made some really poor endorsements, um, very few excellent endorsements. Um, You know, he did endorse Tudor Dixon and she didn't come through. Um, He did endorse Blake Masters. He didn't come through. Um, But I think that, Mike, your question was, you know, is he responsible for the loss? To me, I think that the ones responsible for the loss are the RNC. I think the messaging was awful. They should have been hammering people over the head over COVID fascism and the biomedical security state. That was the way to counter the abortion argument. That was the way to to tap into the spirit of the day. Um, they should have they should have defended women. You know, if abortion is a woman's yep. issue, they should have talked about. You know, how Democrats want to put, you know, biological males in women's bathrooms and women's locker rooms and in women's yeah. sports, you know, the messaging was totally awful. And yeah. the things that they could have raised have, as I've said, 80, 90 percent support. Only the kookiest of the kooks on the Democrat side yeah. are for, you know, Leah Thomas being able to compete as a woman. OK, but now no. we got Ronna McDaniel is pretty much a shoe in to stay on, if I'm not mistaken. McConnell's going to stay on. You got Marjorie Taylor Greene out there saying it's stupid to fight McCarthy. What do you make of that? I think that that was actually tactically a smart argument. I mean, on the surface, it looks bad. But right now, as of as of now, we're at, you know, a little after four o'clock on Wednesday. Last I saw, there's still only 217 confirmed Republicans. I know in the leadership vote, they had 221. Um, regardless, if it's that small of a number, the Democrats could have could, could have gotten, uh, they could have gotten Liz Cheney uh, made into speaker. They could have, they could have gotten a squad member into speaker. They, they, they could have tried to convert somebody I mean, if they only needed to flip two or three Republicans, they might have found them. And I think you have to make a public statement. She could have just said that quietly. To me, it weakens her publicly coming out for him in any sense. Um, I mean, she said she said some of the things that I just said, and, and I think that it made it made sense to me. I, you know, the question, the question is also like, what what is her angle? You know what I mean? She, well, her angle she is she have, wants to get a gavel. Marjorie Taylor Greene? 
or at least get on a committee. I mean, she's not on well, a committee. Yeah, that's right what now. I'm saying. And so to some extent, you've got to play the game, right? I mean, you can't completely be a pariah. The problem is once you play the game, you've lost your own niche. You're your only niche. Okay. You when know, it's, it's like we were talking about with all these Trump endorsements. You know, I mean, I was in politics long enough to see, you know, staunch conservatives endorsing some moderate Republicans. In, in certain in certain election cycles, like it Ted Cruz running the, down like Ted Cruz running down to Georgia in a campaign for her. It, it's, you, you scratch my back and I scratch your back. You know, well, Trump Trump's going to want, want their support down the line. So you know, Trump's case, it was more millions of dollars. The way I hear it, well, there's, so, there's that so. even even more disgust. You know, I mean, it's just you know, I don't know. I, have you I'm, heard? I'm, is, a purist, I'm a purist to a point when you, uh, you realize there's a reality. Saying, that, that is her calling card: is that she's on the outside. I, I, I know, and I, I agree. As as our fearless leader would say, it's impossible to be in politics without compromising your way up. But at a certain point, you're not who you are anymore. Is Bobert in or out? Does anybody know yet? It keeps flipping back and forth. I don't think we know right now. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, just. Getting back to the whole what's to blame thing. I mean, I'm with you, Ed, on the messaging to a point, but, you know, we, I, you know, I, we are like half jokingly talking in our back channels about like, I'm almost cynical to the point now that they're all blaming Trump so much that maybe they tanked this election on, on purpose <laughs> to blame him and get rid of it. That, that was a but, very, very. I mean, it's like, <laughs> you know, these are the thoughts that pop into your head at this point because you just can't put anything past them. You know, but I think I'm netting out now more that it is the machinery that the Republicans. uh, And again, you can blame for this, too, which is they're not properly approaching the vote by mail, the early voting um, ballot harvesting. That's actually legal in a lot of states that they are behind the eight ball going into states like Pennsylvania, where. Festerman, Uncle Festerman is getting, you know, millions of votes ahead practically by the time Republicans go to the voting booth. And okay. they have they have to get better at right. it. Otherwise, right. as long as those are the rules, they're going to lose. As far as I know, I've probably said this a million times. It's as likely as not that the leadership wants to lose. It's sad that you can't dismiss the thought and the idea. Yeah, you see Schumer out there all over the place saying, you know, he spoke to McConnell and they got a lot more in common than anybody knows. And they're really on the same page. You know what? It's nice to have a fancier office, but I don't think McConnell wants to beat the Democrats in any big way. He's an old man and I don't think he cares. McCarthy's a go along to get along. I just it's it's not that they don't know how to win. I don't think they care that much. Well, and maybe that's 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 a huge problem. (laughs) <laughs> if they were just indifferent, that would be better than what it is. I think they actively oppose us. I mean, if you've ever dealt with some of these, you know, these, I mean, I, whether they're rhinos, who's the rhino is, but if you ever dealt with some of these establishment Republican types, mm-hmm. they do mm-hmm. not like me personally. Well, they hate yeah. us. <laughs> yeah. So I think that they find that they have more in common with the Democrats and they, it's not that they don't care. They, I think they actively want the other side to win rather than for us to win. So you see, they, they hired, they hired or they voted in this new whip who's supposedly a super capital R rhino. I never heard of the guy, Emmer. 
but he's yeah and his... banks banks lost that race by six six votes right but the banks point is the leadership is going to be all rhino again right they that's control the problem they don't problems. they don't change anything i mean if mcconnell can't be ousted now after what just took place what is there to say exactly so and by the way they know that they can make we can make all the noise, but they can ignore us. They still get voted in every time. And really, nobody's going to pay for this election. Well, the, the way things are going, you can't be so assured of having your seat for eternity. You know, it's like it's like Arizona. I mean, uh, it used to be a reliably red state. And uh, I was starting to question myself, like, what the hell's happened there? I talked to a friend of mine in Arizona who's lived there for uh, 30 years. Like, what the hell's happening in that state? And so this is why I keep coming back to the idea that there were a lot of variables uh, at play, and migration is, is one of them. We don't really know. I don't know if we have a total handle yet on the impacts of all this out-migration from states like New York, New Jersey, Illinois, California, going fr from their blue states to the red states, and again, how that's impacting both sides. Because look, listen, DeSantis had a huge victory. But how much of it was because so many people moved out of the blue states who are Republican into Florida and then voted for him? But that's contradict that's contradictory, Mike. I mean, how can you on the one hand say DeSantis ran up his totals because people from the, the blue states moved to Florida and voted for DeSantis and then also say maybe the reason Arizona we're losing Arizona is because those same people moving from from blue states moved to Arizona and turned to blue. I mean. Are the people well, not leaving the same the people? It's yeah. the Californian I mean, liberals moving to Arizona. Why would the California liberals leave California? They like it. No, because they don't like not it. They'll run another state. California is too nutty even for them. But I, I, I mean, I think that is. I a mean, point. Ed, you, Ed, you and I know people that much you in yourself, Arizona. Ed, I mean, you're you're a case in point of somebody who went from a blue state to. Right, a, red, a reddish state. Right. So why? Right, I okay. agree. I think that the people that are leaving are the people like us. Okay. So yeah, why but would again, they? That, but why I'm would they make saying, Arizona saying, bluer, I'm, not redder? I said we don't really know all the impacts of it, but also, I mean, like, like I said, when I talked to my friend from Arizona, he gave me some other information too. They have like a lot of tech companies there now. They attract younger people who are liberal. Um, you know, there, there's a lot, a lot of. Um, LGBTQ plus people that migrate to Tucson and that area. So there's there's fa other factors that's changing the demographic of, of that particular state. And, you know, every state, it might, it might be different how they're being affected by it, but there has to be an impact. Right. But and also, listen, how much is Carrie Lake losing by? And you don't have to cheat that much in a close race like that anymore. So right. if they cheat 5,000 votes out of several million. That's enough. And we'll, well again, it's like, what do we mean by cheat in, in a sense, though, too, right? Because I, so much of the cheating is no longer cheating. It's well, legal. some of it's no longer right. cheating. Some of it is, you know, broken printers and, and that kind of stuff. Some of it may be double feeding. Who knows? But you don't have no, to. No, I, I disagree with you. All the cheating is cheating. Um, why isn't some of it legal? If it's legalized, the ballot harvest. If it's legal, ballot harvesting is um, only a part of it. You harvest ballots from people who don't care to vote, and you vote for them. That's what the allegations have been, right. and those what's it's believable. So you go around to everybody uh, in your block or your 
apartment building, you know, give me all your ballots. And uh, since they don't do signature checking in a number of states, it doesn't even matter. You can sign them all. You can sign the, uh, the envelope all. And when they do signature matching, maybe they get the guy to sign it, uh, the signature. Maybe they don't. Maybe they just sign it anyway. It doesn't really matter, really. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's the kind well, that's of I mean, that is cheating. How can you catch that? That is cheating. Che proxy voting, which is what this is, is, is not legal in the United States. It's never been legal. It's never been legal anywhere where voting has happened. And, uh, you know, that, that is essentially what it is. And, and I have no, I, I have no, um, you know, ballot harvesting is just another word for proxy voting. Well, yeah, wait, the way, well, what, what Ed is saying then becomes cheating because, you know, if, if there's some old person in a nursing home and the person goes up to them and says, fill this out and I'll hand it in for you, they're harvesting the ballot. But if they get it and, and it's blank, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, the, fill ballot. this out. No, I, I, I mean, these are real allegations, right? Fill this out and I'll return it for you. But, mm -hmm. you know, don't put it in the envelope. I'll do that. And so we actually they throw had... out the Biden ones and they keep the uh, the Trump ones or, or the equivalent. Or we had, we had a we had a hospital administrator come talk to us and or, or somebody that was affiliated with a hospital. I forget if it was an administrator, but they said the, the way the rules work now is you can have somebody who's basically, for lack of a better word, comatose and they don't fill it out. The, the, the hospital worker is allowed to fill it out for them. Yeah. So they fill it out and they'll fill out, you know, 50 or 100 of them and and return them. And and it's not the person in the hospital who's really voting it's the uh, it's the hospital worker but that's now legal actually it was a, our our board of our local county board of elections person told us that that's what's legal now it's only in hospitals around here but i mean that that can be a couple thousand votes here and there in every county mm -hmm. you know you just vote they just vote for people and there's no way to it can't even be cross-checked you can't there's nothing you can do to to screen for that yeah, I mean, we all know that's that's cheating. So. Right, and you uh, don't yeah. need that much of it in how close these races are. Yeah. Plus, they I mean, have time I'm, to manufacture them anyway. So, uh, I'm netting out that this is really the the number one factor right now in all of this, and they they've clearly, obviously, made that window of the voting time. It's not not election day. It's now like election month. They have all the time in the world. To do whatever they want to do. Yeah, I mean, Kurt Schlichter made the point that this has become no longer outreach to voters, but outreach mm -hmm. to ballots. Yeah, and I think I think if the Republicans don't, you know, don't do that, uh, then they're going to continue to lose in Which these. Gets back uh, to my point, they don't care enough to fight this, and they'll get called racists and homophobes if they try, and it's just not worth it. Again, the Washington generals have a great gig, right? I mean, they just, they lose every day, but they get paid well and they get to travel around and see all sorts of things. So mm -hmm. that's, that's what it is. I think Cruz's frustration was kind of this, like he wants to get a chairmanship of a committee and he's tired of them not caring about winning. But, you know, when- Well, someone, maybe Ted Cruz won. should stop talking about the insurrection. If he wants yeah. to be serious about getting into the majority. Mm -hmm. 
If he really I mean, look, to no matter what you think about the insurrection, I think 18 months in solitary confinement being abused and tortured by the guards is enough. So don't hear it. One, any, second, one second. And I want to compare this to the sentencing of the two lawyers who threw firebombs into a cop car. Now, are they going to get 18 months in solitary? So the difference is absolutely unbelievable. And yet, like Ed said a half an hour ago, Trump's not yelling about the J6ers. Nobody's really yelling about the J6ers. When's the last time it's been brought up in Congress? Who the heck knows? It's yeah, that's even, another even, issue uh, that was that was low hanging fruit for the for the RNC. Nobody to wants to touch the campaign that there's this differential treatment uh, in the, in law enforcement. And, you know, th- they just I mean, they don't I, want to make the argument. Well, I mean, they don't want to go to, near the Hunter to, Biden to story, Trump, right? To Trump's credit, he did bring up the FBI and some of that stuff in, in his speech last night about, yeah, about rooting it all out. Once I have a question, Ed, maybe you can help one of the Eds. Who was in charge of the FBI? Well, the Eds disagree on that one. It wasn't yeah. the president? Well, I'm I mean, the principal, Christopher Ray is in charge of the FBI. I'm sorry, there I thought Chris this... Ray worked for the president. Maybe I, I must have misread it. Yeah, there is this notion, I, we've talked about it before, that um, has been invented, that uh, there are these things called independent agencies and, uh, you know, the FTC or the FEC or the, you know, What's the well, one for the radio Consumer intelligence protection board that gets computer from the Federal Reserve? Right. And 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 of course, that's not true. It's the, it's the U.S. has a unitary executive. And so um, I'm didn't this idea a few weeks ago was complaining about the system in New York. Well, when you're running the system, you can't complain about the system. So, again, he had four years and the FBI, if anything, got worse. So. What's he going to do differently in the next four years? And I think he, he's kind of vulnerable. Well, he, he, he did put out that Schedule F memo right at the end of his term about reclassifying federal employees so they can be fired more easily. Why he didn't do that yeah. on day one instead of, you know, day. Well, I mean, you know, 14, to a certain, 40. let's be honest, he, he didn't know how to be president. Right. I mean, that's ridiculous. The idea that anybody, you know, you've got to be taught how to be president because there's only been a few people alive who have been president and nobody wants to teach him because they were all against him. I think if he made some good choices about advisors and some good choices about cabinet picks all up front, you know, all before the primary uh, season, uh, no more Rex Tillerson's and uh, Mad Dog Mattis's, you know, I mean, get some people in there who are in his camp and, uh, who, who want to implement uh, his his trade agenda and his uh, military agenda and his, uh, you know, um, reform agenda. You, you know, the, the thing is, in my view, from a, I, I, I think abolishing the FBI is a moral necessity, but a loser from a political standpoint. So you got to go in and say, well, we have to reform the FBI. And then when you get in there, you abolish it. That's why. That's the... Um, walk softly and carry a big stick, right? I mean, talk softly and carry a big stick. I get that wrong. Um, you know, we're going to need to reform the FBI to make it more nonpartisan. And the way you do that is to completely gut it uh, when you get in. Inside. Or how about the Republicans not funding it? Yeah, exactly. 
Well, I mean, that again, they're gutless. So right, and and, and they don't really care. And they probably the FBI probably has so much stuff on them. I mean, the FBI is so unbelievably out of control. Um, as much as I'm arguing with Bongino on certain things, he's very, very vocal about they need to be abolished, period, not reformed, not reorganized, uh, abolished. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to the FTX. So um, one of the Eds tell us within 60 seconds what exactly happened and then we and what does it mean? A bunch of 20-year-olds uh, created a cryptocurrency exchange company and got the backing of uh, a large number of extremely wealthy and, and uh, uh, individuals and, and banks and they created this uh, company and um, basically they embezzled the money that people put in it. Um, they, they, it's hard to say they did anything wrong because they actually acted like every bank ever. They acted, it, it acted as a fractional reserve bank with extremely low uh, capitalization and, and low, um, you know, uh, reserve fraction. And they, they, they borrow their customers' money to to meet reserve requirements. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and, again, they, they were supposed to be an exchange, right, where you 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 bought and sold cryptocurrency and that and they treated it like they treat it like all the banks do as a fractional reserve thing. And they basically invested the customer's money in one of their own, you know, hedge funds, which and then there was some notion that this was happening and a uh, someone. uh, uh you know, one a company that a, a company wanted to buy them because they were so well thought of, and then they backed out after a couple of days when they saw what was going on and the rumor spread, and everybody tried to. There was a run, and everybody tried to get their crypto out, and essentially went bankrupt. Now, um, that that's the the basic idea, but the 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 deeper thing is that is how connected uh, the guy, um, Sam, uh, Bankman fraud, I think his name was Sam. Bankman close. How do you get a name like Bankman anyway? Bankman fraud. That was his name. Freed. Um, it's free, but it might as well be fraud. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, he, he was very connected to the Democrats. He gave, uh, tens of millions of dollars to the Democrats. He was the second biggest Democrat donor. And there is some indication that the Ukrainian government was investing in this FTX uh, exchange, investing in crypto. So uh, basically, money goes from from the U.S. U.S. taxpayer, taxpayer to Ukraine. To Ukraine, it, then it goes from Ukraine to FTX. FTX. Then it goes from FTX, FTX. to Democratic lawmakers and to the FTX and principles, and, and then the whole thing becomes essentially a Ponzi scheme. Now, again. Uh, calling it a Ponzi scheme is is difficult because all banks in that sense are a Ponzi scheme. But, and you don't um, want to get sued for defaming Ponzi. <laughs> Ponzi, you know, um, it's it's not clear he was uh, paying new investors with old inve- investors or, uh, money. But I mean that that is one of the allegations. It's not clear to me if that's happening. But basically, it was a you know it was a complete fraud, and he's sitting pretty in the Bahamas, and uh, nothing will ever happen to him. Now, if this is as corrupt as it may be, we'll never know, right? Oh, we'll we'll I, know some, but no, we'll there know. will be no and there will be no investigation, no real investigation. Well, did you hear about the lawsuit that already got filed today? 
There's a huge it, class action lawsuit that it named all the celebrities that endorsed FTX. Yeah, like Tom Brady, Brady, Brady apparently. Brady, Steph well, Curry. Well, that's great, but where was Shaq, it filed? Shaquille O'Neal. Huh? Where was it filed? I didn't hear that. Florida. Florida. Well, okay, that might work. Sorry. <laughs> Well, this is all. I just want to make sure that we don't go off the subject without me at least saying I, I disagree with your your statements about fractional reserve banking. There are some problems with it. Um, I'm not, not saying it's the it's the perfect thing in the world, but uh, some things like durational mismatch are a bigger issue in banking than uh, than fractional reserve banking. But that's sort of well, fractional the reserve is though. just a Mike. Do you also have footprints on your duration. head? What's that? What? You also have footprints on your head. Because they're so far over my head, I have no clue what they're talking about. I have tinfoil <laughs> hat if you want me to put it on. Uh, no, I have no idea banking. what half these words mean. Fractional reserve banking is the equivalent no, of that, that, different story, different, different show, different show. If your gym, <laughs> if you when your gym purchases equipment, they don't need to purchase one machine for every single person who comes in. It's okay that everybody shares. In, in the in the bench press or the leg press or whatever. They just have to make sure that they can, that they have enough machines for the number of people that are expected to come in at the peak times. Fractional reserve banking, when a bank is doing it properly, they're supposed to have enough reserves so that when people come in to, to withdraw money, they can, give, they can give the money out. If you had no fractional reserve banking, that would transform every single bank into safety deposit boxes. There would be no such thing. No, as like, that's not true. That's that is hundred percent true. If no, a bank because hold banks can no, no. Let me let me finish, and then you can answer. If a bank has to hold hundred percent reserves, what could it lend out other than just its equity? It the bank can lend out its its yeah its capital, um, but you can also make timed deposits, and the bank could lend that out as well. So it's it's not only if it's, it, not if it's a hundred percent reserve requirement. No, if it's a time deposit, you can. Uh, if you if you say I don't want this back uh, for a year, then you know I'm investing this money with the bank for a year. Then it can lend it out for a year. Um, but you're How right. That's consistent with a hundred percent reserve requirement. Because they have a hundred percent reserve, nobody can make a demand on them except un until a year. This is a much more complicated topic, though, and, and we'll be okay. really sidetracked if we... Uh, if right, we now, what on. was the other big word you used? Well, the idea of um, duration mismatch is... Okay, yeah. The, the way the banks do now is they, is they borrow, they, they borrow short-term and they lend long-term. So um, that is... Uh, you've got to take it away, and I've got to take this phone call. I can explain it very simply. The bank, the bank makes a mortgage loan to you. It's for 30 years. If interest rates go up, the bank is screwed, right? They're still getting the 3% mortgage that they gave you a couple of years ago. But if rates come down, you just refinance, with, whether with them or with another bank. So but they're, so they're lending on a, on a long-term basis. They, they're on the losing end of, a, you know, of interest rates changing long-term. But short-term, it's the reverse. They're taking deposits in. And if interest rates go up, they either have to raise their rates and pay more immediately, or you'll withdraw your money and put it into another bank. So the durational mismatch is the lending, they're lending long, but borrowing short. So the duration is the timeline, the timing of, 
of the deposits versus the loans. If they were borrowing on, you know, if, they were, if their deposits were 30-year deposits and their loans were 30-year loans, then you'd have a durational match. Okay, but that's how, so you're saying that's how the system works and it's stacked against the bank. I'm saying, I'm saying that the problem right now is that there are no regulations that, uh, other than the free market, that prevent them from, that deal with this durational mismatch problem. The banks are constantly dealing with uh, liquidity, you know, being short on money when interest rates change one way or the other. Am I not correct? Don't they sell off the mortgages right away? That does play into it, but um, ultimately there is a, I mean, there is somebody holding that mortgage. That's the problem. Okay, so you're saying, how does that mix into this whole uh, fractional reserve thing? Say, I'm saying it makes the banks unstable. Okay. Because if they're, like I said, if interest rates fluctuate, every time they go up, they're paying the depositors more, but they're not getting more on their loans that they're making out or, or the loans that have already been made, right? New loans, yes. The, you know, like right now, inter interest rates on a 30-year mortgage are about 7.5%. Mm -hmm. But if you made your, I mean, I refinanced my house less than six months ago, and my mortgage, my interest payment is 3.95, okay? And that's what it is. I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to change two points in five years and two points five years later. But you know, right now the bank is losing a lot of money on my mortgage, and there's nothing they can do about it. And in order to attract funding, they have to raise the interest rates that they pay to depositors to get more money to be able to lend out. You follow that? Yeah, that that part's relatively good. You explain that well. Now, isn't part of that what they make back by doing the credit card business? Yeah, I mean, they can make some of it back with credit cards. Because they're, yes. they're lending out money for ridiculous rates and they're getting it for very cheap rates. Uh, they're basically creating it out of thin air. I mean, you're not making any deposit on a credit card. But I'm saying they're, okay, they're borrowing money to cover that credit card at whatever, you know, at a great rate. Well, they, can they can borrow it. They can raise money. They're paying them, you know, 20, 25%. They can, but they can raise they can raise money in a lot of ways. They can get deposits. They can borrow money from the Fed. They can uh, issue stock and get it as equity. There's lots of ways they can raise money. So okay, so the parallel between that and the FTX way, what's in common? What's not in common? Because I you're kind of comparing it to the banks or disagreeing over whether it's the same as the banks. Um, well, FTX was basically using the the deposits that its uh, crypto users put uh, put into the exchange. They were using them as if as if they as if it were FTX's money, as if they could lend it out the way a bank can lend it out. Whereas they weren't supposed to do that. And when I say I they mean, weren't supposed to do that, there's no regulation, so there's no. It's not clear they violated a law. Um, but they basically bankrupted all their depositors. Okay, so then when people invested money with them, they thought it would be otherwise? I mean, I don't get that. Everybody knows that nobody's holding on to 100% of what you deposit with them. So why are people, they know that that's the risk, don't they? I don't know. I mean, it's kind of like people think that Social Security has a, 
it has a trust fund that has real money in it, but it doesn't. People think that their money is in the bank, even though it's not. I mean, banks, the reserve requirement, I think, is about 1%, and, and it was waived during COVID. I don't know if it's been reinstated. The banks basically don't hold anything. They just Right, but the banks are backed up by the federal government, if I'm not mistaken. So that's kind of different. Now, what's Brady's entanglement in this? Do you understand that? Sure. He he and his wife and Shaquille O'Neal and Steph Curry and all these other celebrities did commercials endorsing FTX. In fact, they did Super Bowl commercials. So they got the maximum exposure. And... Now, I mean, I haven't read the complaint because it was just filed this afternoon, but apparently the plaintiffs are saying that they didn't dis- that that Brady and uh, and the celebrity endorsers didn't disclose that they were being paid and how much they were being paid and um, and that, that that people relied on their endorsement. The whole purpose of the endorsement was to get people to buy uh, buy these products. And people and to and not just buy the products, but to invest on the FTX exchange, and that Brady and all these other people didn't do any due diligence whatsoever before making an endorsement. That they just right. made a blind. So now I'm going to ask a dumb question: um, When all these podcasts and radio shows do all those live reads, you know, shilling for my pillow and all this other crap, and you know, uh, Patriot Mobile and What's the one they're trying to sell me 10 years worth of food that'll last forever and I get a 10% discount? I don't think any of them are doing their due diligence on it. I don't but think I'm saying, are they liable if the products is lousy? I've I never thought they would be. I that's, doubt that they're being the they're paid actors, right? So why is that different than Brady? That's what I'm trying to figure out. I think that ultimately yeah. it's not going to be different, but the, the real question is going to be: does it survive a motion to dismiss? If it survives a motion to dismiss, then you're going to get all sorts of discovery about who knew what, who told who what. Uh, you know, you guys were asking earlier, are we going to find out what really happened? That's how we would find out what really happened. Right. So I'm saying if it's really dirty, if it really involves big people, we're never going to find out. That's all I'm saying. If, if we'll it's see. being funneled back to the Democratic Party at a very high rate, it'll be found out like the Clinton Foundation has found out and like Vince Foster has found out. Etc. Etc. Was there ten percent for the big guy? That's what we want to know. Yeah. Well, ten percent. Yeah. And now, supposedly, this is. And again, I don't understand the crypto market at all. I do know that my family members do put some kind of money into it. They're saying this is going to leak into the rest of the crypto market. Well, I mean, I. What's weird is like the price of Bitcoin dropped tremendously when this was found out. I think because people decided that if it's this risky to have Bitcoin in an exchange, um, they're going to get out of that market and drove the price down. Um, but I don't think uh, it's necessarily that risky. Um, I, I, certainly it is risky and I wouldn't put a lot of money into, into Bitcoin, but I, I don't really believe um, that all of the exchanges are run as Ponzi schemes like uh, like this one is, um, it, and I think that you know there'll be uh, a lot of looking into the other exchanges now to make sure they're not run like this. Um, but again, well, again, this this idea of not having enough money in the bank to back deposits, this is baked into our system, and so um, yes, I, 
I wouldn't be surprised if uh, other exchanges were didn't have enough capital to back up their uh, their you know fraction. The uh, the Bankman Freed guy or Bankman Fraud guy, as you talked about him earlier, uh, one of the things they did was he spread money to to legislators who were against regulate regulation or or only favorable to regulation that of the crypto industry that would facilitate this kind of nonsense. So, I mean, there's not a lot of regulation, not that I'm a big advocate of regulation, but it kind of is the wild, wild west. And you got to know that before you put money into it. I mean, I've always asked, I don't want to do a whole show on crypto, but when you buy crypto, you don't have anything, right? Well, that's not true. I mean, in the sense, well, you have a record on in a ledger in a distributed ledger. You have you, you own a record in a, in a distributed ledger. Have and you ever tried buying a candy bar with a record in a ledger? Um, yes, all the time. Okay. I do it every day. In fact, I did it yesterday. And what prevents somebody from just taking it off that ledger? There's nothing real there. Oh, uh, no, there is something that's a, to, uh, that, that's the brilliance of, of Bitcoin is that, um, is that, uh, is that you can't take it off the ledger, that it's cryptographically secure. And when I say I buy candy bars with the ledger, obviously I, that just means I use my credit card or, you know, Apple pay on my watch. That's all that is. It's a, record and a ledger on a computer somewhere at Chase Bank. Um, and this is uh, no different. The, the difference is with Bitcoin, it does not have to have an intermediary. So, you, I mean, I know these- Intermediary meaning a bank. Right, but yeah, on the other hand, it has no intrinsic value whatsoever, which is why $60 billion can fade into the ether. Well, it was about 20, but um, the dollar has no intrinsic value. So, I mean, it, it, again, you're- The dollar I, I don't, can't crash as fast as FTX can. Oh, yes, it can. Yes, it can. <laughs> no, certainly the world the, can't afford for it to happen. Certainly the mark crashed uh, that quickly. Right, but um, being but the yeah. reserve currency of the world, it just can't. Um, yes, it can. You, you watch. <laughs> You think might over, overnight everything could be gone i don't think so i think it could get really bad but supposedly in 2008 we were hours away from that kind of crash. or did they just say that to get a trillion dollars in money there's that too that's why it's hard to supposedly know. yeah hard to know i got that okay now the other story i want to cover and i frankly it's another story that i don't really understand this thing that the Fed is getting together with a bunch of banks for a 12-week trial of digital currency. Did any of you uh, economists read that and know what they're talking about? I read it, but I don't know what it actually means. Um, I mean, I, I think we all kind of know what they want to do, but I don't know what this alleged test is. Yeah, I don't, I mean, my I don't know for sure, but I, I, surmise that it it deals with the clearinghouse aspect of the banking transactions um which is already pretty much electronic uh if not entirely not as opposed to pretty much it might entirely be electronic right now um and it's i don't know the nature of the test uh the article that i read and i think i shared with you guys doesn't really describe it um so i don't know i don't know the answer to that question but i i know that they're testing it out I mean, I mean, the goal, of course, is um, what they're doing in China with the 
you know, everybody has a phone and on the phone, uh, your payment system is tied to your social credit score or your COVID status or your, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know whether you heard this the other day, but there was a rumor and, Disneyland in Shanghai that there was a COVID case in the, in the Shanghai Disneyland and everybody was afraid they were going to get stuck there probably on the it's a small world ride which would be of course the end of uh, so many lives um, and so there was a mass rush to the exits to get out before they uh, could lock down uh, Disneyland and um, people were injured anyway the uh, the uh, that's the idea is, is that you know you have this rating that tells you what you can do and what you can't do and where you can go what you can buy and whether you can buy transport or whether you can go into a store or whether you you know all of this i mean the chinese have have sort of perfected that and that is obviously the goal in um the central bank digital currencies here in the west they are imitating the chinese um i I do think i do think westerners a little more, more ornery than than they are um uh than the chinese are but so I, I just I want think. to clarify something. I'm a person who never uses cash. So I basically volunteered myself into a digital currency, correct? The only difference is that I volunteer for it. Well, well I no, the I mean- The difference is that's with a private corporation. It is the truth though that, right, that money. But this thing, this new thing for 12 weeks is a bunch of private corporations, isn't it? Well, yeah. is the Fed- but, and the is the Fed controlled by the banks, or is the Fed controlled by the government, or is the government and the banks the same thing? And they the both together. Yeah, no, no, and the government and the banks are the same. So it's it's hard to just it's hard to decide. The Fed controls them all. No, but yeah, I'm I, saying the I only the only downside is if they ban non digital currency. Correct. Well, that would be the the next step, exactly. right? But that's yeah. that's the downside because we can volunteer our way into it now. Yeah, and and well, no, digital. I mean, Chase is, could debank me tomorrow if they wanted to. That's right, and and if they heard our podcast, they probably would. But. I tell them I've never met either of you guys. Uh, <laughs> we need to encrypt. You know, it's this. hard. It, it's hard. It's hard to say. It's you know. I mean, obviously, there have to be protections put in place, and you know, that's we go back as like, what does Trump think, and what does DeSantis think, and what does anybody else think? Well, are they going to put protections in place so that you can't be debanked for your political opinions, or mm-hmm. for any opinions, or for any even actions? I mean, right. murderers have bank accounts. It's ridiculous. Well, not just debanked, but I mean, there's privacy concerns. I mean, even if you can't yeah. be debanked. Do you want the government to be able to know all of your spending habits? I mean, it's one thing that we that they force us to use their money. That's what the legal tender laws make us do. But it's another yeah. thing for them for, you know, it's one thing when we're using their money in an anonymous fashion, when it's mm-hmm. paper bills and coins. It's another thing entirely when they put a little computer chip in our phones and they track everything that we do. Uh, that's a huge issue. Okay, so the difference is the government's involvement versus just Chase and Wells Fargo and 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 the big banks. Yes, uh, although no. in our current context, the banks are colluding with the government anyway. Yeah, the government and the bank banks have no difference between just, them anymore. Just so. ask, ask the truckers in Canada; they're the same people. Right. So I, you know, they just go in and out and in and out. There, it's the same people. So it, it, to say that. 
they're different. I mean. Okay, so let me ask it a different way. Between us and a digital currency, what else is there? Like, what else has to happen um, if we're ready? It's just the home? banning of cash. That's all. The banning it's, of cash. It's, okay. It's banning of cash. Which is what Israel has been trying to work its way towards. You know, they have ceilings on how much you're allowed to use cash for. Period. Yep. By the way, just to bring up Israel, um, I don't know how much you guys are following Israeli politics and the new supposed government that may or may not come. But America is really pushing its weight and basically calling Israel and saying, you cannot make this person a defense minister. Is that like wild? Are you following that at all? Uh, yes. And it's, of course, none of our business who they make defense minister. But to be perfectly fair, Israel does the same thing to us. So, you know, I don't think Israel calls up the White House and says, don't make somebody defense minister, do they? And this is very blatant. This is not APAC you know, whining and dining. This is literally out there. You can't do this. I, I mean, is that unprecedented? Is it wild? It's just so... I don't it's think none it's of our business who the Israeli defense minister is. And the United States government should get over I mean, it. I know the United States government, I know, is twisting arms. And I think most governments are twisting arms. But this seems to be just a little bit more out there. The only thing that's unprecedented about it is that it's being done openly. Right. That, that's what I think. And I, I think it's so brazen. And now, <laughs> hey, you want to be cynical. If you guys want cynicism, is Netanyahu asking them to do this because he doesn't even want to be aligned with the right wing and he's full of it anyway and would rather be aligned with the left. And this would give him his perfect out. Maybe I'll try that one on an Israeli radio show. <laughs> I, I again, I I don't know. It's, it's possible. I so it's many, like, so many countries try to interfere totally... with the U.S. Uh, so many countries interfere with the U.S. <coughs> politics and elections, and I just get so mad. I mean, so I'm I'm certainly mad that we're interfering with other people's politics. Yeah, I mean. See, I don't have a problem with a foreign country trying to convince me how to vote. I have a problem with a foreign country trying to convince my government to do certain things. But So I you mean, have a problem with, with the U.S. government telling China not to invade Taiwan or not to enslave Uyghurs? Or... <laughs> That's what gets really tough, Ed. It gets really, really tough, those issues. You know, what, what is called mixing into internal affairs. And Uyghurs is more internal affairs than Taiwan is, as far as I'm concerned. But, but still. yes, I, I intentionally chose that one because I don't really care. I mean, that to me, that's two enemies fighting with each other. But Taiwan is different. Yeah, as sad as that is. All right. Everybody tell me what we didn't talk about. Mike, what didn't we talk about? Oh, I don't know. I think we hit on the most of the, the big subjects already. <laughs> So I'm not sure if I had anything else. All right. As long as we talked about Ivanka. So <laughs> Jane Fonda wants to die. Let's help her. You heard that? Yeah. She, I don't think I was allowed to mention her name in my house. Well, you had good parents mm -hmm. then. My father was strict <laughs> military. He was not a big fan. Of course, we weren't, supposed to, watch, we weren't supposed to watch MASH either, but. 
<laughs> okay, one or the other of the Eds. What didn't we talk about that you wanted to? Well, I mean, I just say I'm I'm dealing with the insanity of the uh, U.S. Uh, medical care industry this week, and uh, it's um, uh, I don't know. It's 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 a wonder we're not all dead. So, if you're talking about our entire healthcare system being horrific right now, I am totally in with you. Yeah, and it wasn't. I mean, I I think I'm the oldest of the group here today. It wasn't like this when I was a little boy. Mm -hmm. Yet there are still true true believers out there. We're getting much closer to Canada and Britain and Israel in the waiting for treatment, in the being refused treatment. It's really, really scary. It's mostly the non-communication and the non-responsibility. Right. Everybody's just a cog. I mean, the doctors are cogs, and it's it's horrific. And not to mention, well, in in machines, cogs actually, you know, connect with other cogs. <laughs> and and you're right, they don't. And I think I must have shared an article. I think with you guys a few weeks ago, somebody was ripping the medical system. You know, we treat symptoms, we don't treat people. And everybody, you know, you got one doctor for your left nostril and another doctor for your right eyebrow, and there the twain shall meet. And nobody's a person anymore. It, it, it really, I mean, I'm going through that also in the family. It is absolutely horrific. And it wasn't like this before Ted Kennedy got his HMOs and all this other rot. I mean, I remember the good old days. You needed a doctor. You called him. He came over. You paid him $20. And that was it. And the only people working for him was a nurse who was also the secretary who also gave you the lollipop. I don't think lollipops are on the agenda. Do you remember them from the doctor? I do. Yeah. And, and they were all colluding with the dentist, supposedly. But All right. Ed, Ed M. I think there were certain aspects of the Trump announcement and Trump DeSantis that we didn't really cover. Um, you know, number one, I mean, just to list a few of them, uh, this fascination, I mean, let me preface by saying I'm a DeSantis guy, but this fascination with DeSantis, um, especially by by the media outlets and the the tarnishing of Trump, you know, I, I can just hear Rush Limbaugh telling us, never let the left choose your candidate for you. And yeah. and and I just feel I, I've as much as I'm a DeSantis guy, I, I I've been feeling and as much as I've had my issues with Trump, I just feel like this attempt to destroy and demonize Trump and to elevate DeSantis the way they elevated McCain and Romney and then turned on him as soon as they got, and even Trump in 16 until he got the nomination. Uh, it just, it, it strikes me that that's what's happening with DeSantis. I don't think any of these people in the, in the media uh, give, a, give a rat's patooey about DeSantis. I think they're ready to turn on him the second he destroys Trump no question. Forward. They just put his name in the blank instead of Trump's. Right. I uh, do think, you know, uh, Einstein said insanity is doing the same thing over and over again. So today they reelected uh, Mitch McConnell as the Senate majority, a uh, minority leader. And yes. uh, I, I suppose they'll be insane again in the House by reelecting uh, Kevin McCarthy as the head of the Republicans. And uh, 
potentially Speaker of the House. There's still one vote short, one one election short. Last time I looked, um, of having enough uh, seats in the uh, in the House to have a majority. But um, that's just I, I don't know what to tell you. And you know, let's do the same. Let's do more of the same. Yeah, because it's working so well. It's it's really well, and, amazing. And that gets to the second thing that about called yet. What's that, Mike? It's amazing that that it it's come to this that the Republicans are barely barely going to win this thing. It looks like. it's that, that actually gets to the second thing about Trump that that I wanted to just throw out there. I, I sort of view him as as chemotherapy for the Republican Party. He, he may <laughs> oh, kill the whole. That body. is the quote of the week. He <laughs> may, he may kill the whole body, but. Uh, the goal right now is he's toxic enough to make them have to choose between being establishment and being MAGA. And, you know, again, chemotherapy sometimes just kills the patient, but sometimes it just kills the cancer and goes away. And um, to the extent that he's he's making it hard for them to be uh, establishment people, uh, I think that's a good thing. Uh, unfortunately, he's a, he's endorsed a bunch of establishment people himself. So uh, it's not a perfect analogy, but um, I, I sort of I sort of see some analogies to him being a chemotherapy for the Republican Party right now. Um, so that was another thought that I had that we didn't really get to discuss. Uh, um, and I again, as a, as a Ed, we're losing you. The DeSantis guy, but I just want to say he needs to be able to answer. And, um, you know, we don't know. I'm sorry, I'm fading in and out. Yeah, we're going in and out a little bit. Can you hear me now? Okay, yep. mm -hmm. yes, go ahead. Well, so I was saying that, you know, as I alluded to this earlier, that DeSantis has a lot of questions that he needs to answer. Uh, not in the sense that he's eva evaded them or avoided them. I don't feel like he's run away, but as governor, no one really cares about what his views are on Ukraine. Um, and, you know, I mean, I mentioned, you know, January 6th. Uh, you know, I can see him answering the, the you know, the January 6th question in, in two different ways that are totally reasonable. Uh, you know, on the one hand, he could look at Trump and he could say, uh, you know, you did nothing to help these people. Uh, this was a, you know, these are your people and, you know, you should have done something more to defend them. And it's a, it's a terrible injustice. And, you know, when I'm president, I'm going to, you know, do it, you know, they won't be in jail for a second longer than, than when I'm president. And, uh, you know, he, you know, he could, he could really go hard on Trump that way, but he could also go Ted Cruz on him. And he could say, you know, you were irresponsible, Mr. President, you didn't do what you needed to do to control your people. You allowed an insurrection to happen. We don't know. I don't know what his view is on January 6th. You know, I was shocked when I heard Ted Cruz say things like that. Mm -hmm. Maybe DeSantis is going to say that too. I don't know. And and if he does, well, I'm sure it's not going to lose a Ted, lot of respect for him. Ted Cruz has lost his fastball. You know what I mean? That's what happens when you're there. But I don't, I want to see if DeSantis has that fastball. I, I don't know. I know. I, I hear you. You know, so... so and there, there are a lot more questions that I have for him. I mean, those are just a couple mm -hmm. that just off the top of my head I can think of. Yeah, and he, he, he just answer some questions. You never know how somebody's going to play once they're out of that cocoon. And I think I brought up Mike Bloomberg last week. 
Once he was out of that cocoon of being the mayor and he was on the stage with all those other primary candidates, he just wilted. He was horrible. Right. And, right. And, and, you, and just, you just don't you don't know until the, don't, the lights and are another on. thing you don't know. I mean, likewise, Mike, you know, Ted Cruz is a really smart guy, but he couldn't take a punch and he certainly couldn't counter punch. And, you know, Trump is going to come after DeSantis if they're both on the stage. Yes. We don't know how he's going to respond. I mean, I have my ideas. I mean, he's done pretty well when the media has come after him, but who knows what he's going to do? I mean, and Trump is such an outrageous guy and makes such outrageous accusations. You know, it's it's probably impossible to be totally prepared for all of them. We got to see how he can do. We got to see how he can rise above it. We sure as heck know, you know, anyone who watched what Harry Reid did to Mitt Romney, you know, or or a myriad of other things involving candidates in every race, the the left and the Democrats and the media, you know, but I repeat myself on all those. They're going to do whatever they can to destroy DeSantis if he gets the nomination. So to, to, to close that whole circle, this this notion that that either Trump should step aside or DeSantis should step aside is is utterly foolish to me. I think they need each other to fight it out hard and to sharpen themselves for the attacks that are going to come. And and in DeSantis's case, well, in both of their cases, they both have questions that they need to answer. Right. I mean, some people on the Trump side are going to support him no matter what. But other people like me, you know, he needs to he needs to tell me that he's not going to hire another Dr. Fauci. I need to know that he's not going to go for another lockdown or, uh, you know, some of the other mistakes that he made during his presidency. I need there, to know there that. are two people who are, uh, you know, we, we have to remember uh, Ron Paul in 2008 um, uh, talking about how the, the war was stupid. I, I thought Ron Paul was wrong at the time and I realized now that he was right. And then of course, Tulsi Gabbard in um, 2020 destroying uh, Kamala Harris. Um, we need people like that too, who are gonna prick the pins because I'll tell you, the Republican party is going the way of the British Tory party. The British Tory party, if the election were held tomorrow would win maybe six or eight seats in a 620 seat House of Commons. And I think that's where the Republicans are going if they keep Mitch McConnelling and Kevin McCarthying themselves. Yeah. Um, well, that's the big problem because even if you take everything sort of on, you know, face value, if you will, that, you know, they really put their best foot forward to try to win and they didn't. If they're going to sit there and blame Trump, that tells me they're, they're not really looking to learn the real reasons why. If you're just going to pin it all on him, and, and that is a colossal blunder. If yeah. That's the case. You know, by the way, the, the one other big issue we didn't touch on real quick was Ukraine and obviously the missiles dropping into Poland. And um, I think there's a couple of things right. to take away from it, which is how Zelensky is continuing to try to manip- manipulate things to suck us in, suck the world in more. But it also shows you that during war, it's unpredictable. Uh, there's a fog of war. Sometimes you don't know who's responsible for what. Um, and you can't make rash decisions. But, you know, that that incident that happened this week had had the potential anyway to really steer things in a really bad direction. And thankfully, it sounds like it, it might have been Ukrainian missiles. I'm not 
hundred percent sure. That's what it sounded like. That's what I saw. That's uh, the current thought. Yeah. Again, it, the, the point is, as long as this war is continuing, there's a risk, a big risk of something going awry and it's getting worse. Well, the bigger point I thought was Zelensky demanding that NATO defend, you know, art, invoke Article 5. Zelensky <laughs> yeah, that's did, what I'm saying. and he's a bunch of other people right on. That's what I said. He's trying to suck the world in. Look, I, I, I don't mind um, Zelensky lying to save his, uh, you know, do what he thinks to save his country, as long as everybody realizes that he's lying. So, <laughs> you know, don't trust yeah. the word the guy says. Um, I, I, I certainly don't blame him for trying to get as much help as he can. Um, but, I, you know, I, I don't trust anything out of the guy's mouth. So, well. Yeah, and then he, you know he went and voted against Israel in the UN, and Israel's just stuck him back with something. And you can't beg for people to help you, yell at them for not, knife them in the back, and keep yelling at them for not. And sooner, I don't understand why you think that. Everybody does that to the United States. <laughs> I surrender. And we give them. Then we give them more money. I surrender. All right, folks, we're going to wrap it up. Um, stay tuned. We will be announcing on Facebook when our next show will be next week because of the Thanksgiving holiday. Meanwhile, we wish everyone a good evening and thank you for being here with us.